we always hear people talk about uh, mind over matter. Have you heard that? Mind over matter? Do you believe in it? It's true. Science has kind of come up with some proof. And scripturally, we have proof as, as well. Uh, what is the body? Our body is matter. So, uh, who's more potent? The mind or the body? Spirit. Ah, that's true. The spirit is the most. But the mind kind of controls and pretty much. Uh, actually, the mind pushes us around. We don't know it. And the problem is, uh, most people think that, subtly at least, I am my body. So, I am my mind. If my mind says something that, like if my mind uh, says, I'm hungry, that means I'm hungry. I, the soul, am hungry. But I'm an eternal living entity. How can I be hungry? I can't want for anything. I'm complete. I'm a complete living, eternal living entity. Because I identify with the body, I think I have so many needs, and so many of my needs are unfulfilled, so therefore I have so many problems. So we're going to talk tonight about uh, a story. This is the story in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the 23rd chapter. It's called the story of the Avanti Brahman. It's, a, it's marvelous. It's something that you should uh, read. But periodically, we need to read and study this. I do, even though I know it. I just want to refresh my, my memory with it. <clears throat> because we need to live by this code. This is a story about uh, uh, a man who was greatly advanced materially. This is many, 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 many centuries, thousands of years ago. And he became very wealthy, very well known, but he was very miserly. He uh, had a very big business, uh, an agricultural business, but he didn't pay his help very well. He wasn't kind to his wife. He wasn't kind to his family, his sons. He was stingy. He didn't give very well in charity. He didn't really do much good. He amassed wealth. And in the end, people started to hate him, even his own family turned against him, and uh, people started to steal from him. His employees started to steal from him, his sons started to steal from him, and they just despised him. He was a rotten guy. He deserved everything he got. He ended up penniless. He had nothing. But he had this moment of clarity, and he realized that I've lost all these things that really can be a detriment to any spiritual advancement. I've lost all this wealth. And now I'm free, and I choose to uh, now take sannyas, a wandering mendicant, uh, a monk, become a monk, travel, and, and just spread love of Godhead. That's my choice, you see. So the problem is, as he wandered, many people would see him, and some people would recognize him. And they would, they would see somebody like a sage, and they would look at him and think, Hey, wait a minute, you're that miser guy. You cheated me out of so much money. And they would throw rocks at him, you know. Sometimes they would do gross things. They would throw feces on him. They would urinate on him as he sit, sat and meditated. You know, they would beat him with sticks, tie him up. I mean, the guy had a lot of enemies. 
kind of like, you know, when you're rich, you have bodyguards, but now here you are, you're just wandering around, you have nothing. And boy, people really gave him hell. So his life turned into pure hell. So uh, his attitude remained sweet because he was thinking of Krishna. He chose to be happy. Okay? So let's, that's, that's where we are. This is a story that's being told by none other than the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna. He's telling it to Uddhava. And this happened many years prior to this. So these are the words of Krishna. Krishna is telling this story about his devotee. Krishna loves to glorify his devotees. You see, it's not that he does that we're insignificant. He 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 loves to. He appreciates everything you do. He knows everybody's story. You see. So, uh, so these are the words of Krishna, and it starts out in the forty-second verse. I'm going to skip the Sanskrit because we've got about 15 verses that I'm going to read. Now, uh, this is a very interesting subject matter. So if your mind gets creative and you have a question, stop at any time and let's, let's, uh, let's touch on it. Okay? Let's discuss it. So, this Brahman uh, starts to sing this song. This is the song of the Avanti Brahman. So these verses we're going to read are his daily recitation that keeps him uh, pure and happy. So these are his words. Krishna is saying these words that the Brahman used to say. The Brahman said, These people are not the cause of my happiness and distress. Neither are the demigods, my own body, the planets, my past work, or time. Rather, it is the mind alone that causes happiness and distress and perpetuates the rotation of material life. The powerful mind actuates the functions of the material modes from which evolve the different kinds of material activities in the modes of goodness, ignorance, and passion. From the activities in each of these modes develop the corresponding statuses of life. Although present along with the struggling mind within the material body, the super-soul is not endeavoring because he is already endowed with transcendental enlightenment. Acting as my friend, he simply witnesses from his transcendental position. I, the infinitesimal spirit-soul, on the other hand, have embraced this mind, which is the mirror reflecting the image of the material world. Thus I have become engaged in enjoying objects of desire and am entangled due to contact with the modes of nature. Very interesting, see? So in other words, he's saying that I, these people are throwing feces on me, they're throwing rocks, they're hitting me with sticks. But I don't blame them. I'm not angry. He goes on to say, I'm not even blaming my own karma for this. Of course it is my reaction. I did nasty things, I'm getting nasty reaction. But I'm not even going to say that that should be the cause for my lamentation or, uh, or being unhappy. I choose to be happy. Whatever you do to me, I choose to be happy and peaceful. 
Mm. Now, how can we do this? He's going to explain this later, but he makes that choice. Okay? And he's talking about, although present along the body, the super soul is in the soul, we, the living entity, are in the region of the heart. Somewhere in the center of the chest, in the region of the heart, is you. That's where you live. All of us live there. Right next to us is Krishna and the super soul, the Paramatma. This is what the yogis are, are looking for when they try to meditate on uh, the potency within. They're looking for the Paramatma. It's Krishna. Krishna, when the living entity comes to this material world, Krishna comes along just to be with us. Well, we can't be away from God at any time. You see, we depend on him for everything, although we don't admit that sometimes, but we do. So Krishna comes along with us to observe. He's very interested. What will you do? You're going to go to the material world and you're going to be a human being. You're going to be a dog. You're going to be a snake. You're going to be a bird. Wow, Krishna says, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to, because I want to see. Every living entity, that means the, the birds, the grass, the trees, the squirrels, us, they're all spirit souls. Krishna is with every one of them watching their story, riveted. He is very interested. See, this is very important for us to get through. We're not uh, in an impersonal situation with Krishna. This is a, a very personal relationship that we are having, regardless of whether we want a personal relationship or not. We may not even believe that God has a personality or a form. You know, I may, I may say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but here I am, stuck to this planet, believe it or not. So, I can say, I don't believe God has a form or personality, and yet he's sitting right next to me listening and saying, well, oh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, continue. <laughs> he watches, and he's interested in our decisions. You see, we have free will. We have free will. Krishna gives us free will to make your own decision. You choose how you will react to any given circumstance that may happen to you moment after moment along through your life. You get to make the choice. Krishna never removes free will. You see, free will is the basis of love. If you don't have free will, then love is, if we, have, uh, if we have a loving relationship, but you don't have free will, our love is tainted. You see, if, if um, a man and woman get married, but the man ties the woman up and holds a knife on her and says, you know, you're going to do as I say, she doesn't have free will. Where's the, how's their love? You see? You have to have free will. For, the, for love to be pure, you have to be able to choose or reject. So Krishna wants nothing but the purest of love. So he gives you the ability and the right to reject him if you want. You have that choice. Therefore, Krishna wants everything first class. So he wants first class love. He wants the best. If you, if you want to have a loving relationship with me, You've got to choose me, he says. And you have the right and the ability to
to reject me. I give you that. So, he never removes this free will, so the living entity goes through life making a series of um, decisions, accepting and rejecting this and that and whatever. This is what's very interesting to Krishna. Because you have free will, he doesn't know what you're going to do. See how exciting that is? If he just knew. Now, if he wanted to, he could overcome that and say, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to be faced with this and you're going to do that. But wouldn't that be boring? <laughs> you know? You're like, oh, here we are. Uh, Sean's going to do this and now he's going to do that. Now he's going to pull out in front of that car. No, 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 no. Yeah, he's going to be screaming, oh, Krishna, oh, Krishna. You know, the ambulance is on the way. <laughs> you know. But he doesn't want to. He wants to enjoy this, this story. What will you do? And then he thinks, oh, I'm going to try to put something, some impediment in front of you. What will you do? <laughs> oh. Radharani, could you pop some corn? This is going to be a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> what will you do? You know, Krishna is so interested. In every living entity, all of us, he's, he's, he's riveted. You see, that's the status of our relationship with Krishna. We're not riveted with him yet. We've come to this material world and we've kind of forgotten our relationship with Krishna. But he hasn't forgotten the relationship. You see, we're in the coma. You know, he's waiting by the bed thinking, you're going to wake up one of these days and you're getting little pieces. You're figuring out more and more of the spiritual story. You're becoming more and more spiritually awakened. You see? And one of these days, you're going to come out of your coma and say, Krishna! And he's going to say, I'm here. I've been here all along. That was a great trip, wasn't it? <laughs> and now here you are back with me. You see? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's our, our destiny. So any questions or comments? Okay, on with the story. The Brahman continues his song. Charity, prescribed duties, observance of major and minor regulative principles, hearing from scripture, pious works, and purifying vows, all have as their final aim the subduing of the mind. Indeed, concentration of the mind on the supreme is the highest yoga. If one's mind is perfectly fixed and pacified, then, uh, then tell me what need does one have to perform ritualistic charity and other pious rituals? And if one's mind remains uncontrolled, uh, uncontrolled, lost in ignorance, then of what use are these engagements for him? So what he's speaking about here is uh, you know, many people perform pious activities and rituals and, and certain things because they want something in return. You know, my dear Lord, I want you to give me something, so I go to the temple and we see that all over, all throughout India. Most of the, practically almost all of the people in India and in the West as well. They perform, they, they, they perform their religious activities and they want something in, in, in return. You see, I want to go to heaven. I want a mansion. I want to go to heaven. I want salvation. Uh, 
In India, they perform pious activities for wealth. I want a profitable business. Beautiful wife, uh, intelligent sons, successful, so they'll take care of me my old age. So there's so many offerings and so many things. Prayers, my dear Lord. People pray all the time to God for stuff. Please do this for me. Please do that for me. You see? So, uh, of course, the bhakti yogi is working to the point where we reverse that. We say, my Lord, what can I do for you? I want to serve you. I have you, so therefore I have everything. I'm in need of nothing. What can I do for you? And the devotee begins, gets very frantic, always thinking, Krishna, what can I do? Please let me know. Please give me some intelligence that I may figure out what it is I can do to make you happy. I want to please you. I'm already pleased. I'm pleased that I have you. And now please give me some way to please you. Whatever, whatever I can do, give me the facility, because I have no facility of my own. Give me the facility to serve you. You see, whatever that may be. I'm simply submitting to you, my Lord, please. That's the, that's the essence of chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That's what we're praying for. That's that prayer. Please give me your loving devotion, sir. Let me serve you. You see? So, um, what he's saying here is that if, if, you, uh, if the mind isn't perfectly fixed and pacified, then all these performances of ritualistic charity and other pious rituals are useless. And if your mind is pacified and satisfied, then what's the need for these rituals to get goodies and, and, and stuff from God. Interesting philosophy. We don't, we don't think about this very often in the course of our, of our lives. Next verse. All the senses have been under the control of the mind since time immemorial, and the mind himself never comes under sway of any other. He is stronger than the strongest, and his, God, his godlike power is fearsome. Therefore, anyone who can bring the mind under control becomes the master of all the senses. If you can control your own mind, it gives you strength. It gives you, it makes you like, uh, it, it's, it's like, as it's compared here, like godlike strength. You see? Um, it gives you a, it puts you in a situation that people that know you will will notice about you. You know, you may not be big and you know lifted weights, but they're going to see you as strong. Strong. You may be frail and small or whatever, but if you can control the mind, and let's say you can't control the mind 100%. Let's say you can control it 75, 80, 90, 60 percent even. People see you as very strong many, many, many times stronger than they are, you see. Great respect they, they'll have, even if you're not educated, but you, you have control of the mind. And we notice, we, some, we sometimes see people who have some control over their minds, you see. 
and they live their lives in a certain way. They have self-discipline, you see. Uh, many times they become wealthy, they become famous, because they control their mind. They can uh, grab uh, uh, a proposed destiny that they have, and they will pursue it to the death, you see. Henry Ford was one of these people. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but Henry Ford, uh, I've read some things about him, and, and he had a lot of control over his mind. He forced his mind to think, to achieve the, the, the goal and the destiny that he wants. And he wanted. It, this is very common in, uh, in people who become materially successful. You know, But if you can control the mind enough to where you give up the desire for material success and focus down on spiritual success, then you become even much stronger, stronger than the strong. Failing to conquer the irrepressible enemy, the mind, whose urges are intolerable and, whose, uh, and who torments the heart, many people are completely bewildered and create useless quarrel with others. Thus they conclude that other people are either their friends, their enemies, or parties indifferent to them. You see, there's that uh, picking and choosing, the decision-making we make. Uh, I conclude that, uh, that you're my friend because I get some profit from you. You know, I conclude that, uh, that you're my friend because we share the same neuroses. You know, perhaps, and I've used this example before, perhaps we both like to, to uh, uh, do heroin, you see, which is an insane thing to do. It's bad for your health, it's against the law, and we can go on and on and on. But if I want to do it, and you're a law-abiding person who, who really is uh, 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 responsible, intelligent, then you're going to think I'm an idiot. I don't want you thinking I'm an idiot. So I, I seek out someone, you know, I find, uh, you know, hey, he does heroin too. So therefore, when I'm with him and we're doing heroin, he doesn't think I'm crazy. You see? I don't think he's crazy. We both do it. Our neuroses match up, you see? You like to destroy your body in one way, or you like to do this in one way, or whatever. And if I'm similar... My neuroses and yours match up. Ah, you are my friend. He thinks I'm a criminal and an idiot. He's not my friend. He doesn't care, so he's neutral, you see. So you see how the mind starts accepting and rejecting the association of people because of whatever. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a, uh, if I'm a Democrat and you're a Democrat, ah, oh, you're, you're my friend. If, if I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> and you're thinking I'm an idiot. You see? you got two idiots thinking the other are idiots. <laughs> you know? So, uh, if I like classical music and you like classical music, you know, you see how it works. As, so, I accept or reject you as my friend or my enemy based on how we uh, how our neuroses match up? It's new, it's insanity. 
these things are so unreal. Pursuance of something that's not real. It's like a dog chasing its tail, you see. To spend much time in politics, being engrossed in politics is useless. People ask me, you know, when I go to San Antonio, there's a lot of young people there, and it's, it's the kind of atmosphere to where the, the people <clears throat> are fighting for a cause. You know, they're fighting for animals' rights. And they march, they go downtown and they march, and they're fighting for women's rights. And they march, you know, they do this, and this rights, and that rights, and gay rights, and uh, on and on and on, you know. And they say, how come you're not so more involved? I would think that somebody like you would be more involved. And I say, I am a... When you're a devotee of Krishna, you're looking out for everybody's rights. Not just a gay person or a, a, you know, a hetero person or a, a, an animal or an animal eater or, you see. No, it, we're looking out for the rights of all living entities. That doesn't mean just the human beings. All living entities. You see, when the devotee's walking, he tries to avoid the ants. Mm. He doesn't want to step on the ants. He doesn't want to cause them any pain. Mm. And it's kind of difficult. I have, I have to walk a lot for my health. And uh, when I'm walking on a surface where I can see the ants, I'm, I'm find myself kind of like, people must think I'm crazy sometimes because I'm walking and chanting and here I am tiptoeing and kind of dancing. You know. <laughs> How, how can you not? How can you just walk right over them? You can't do that. You see? How can we, how, how can we disrespect uh, anybody's rights? You see? Not just because we agree on some platform, you know, we agree on some sub subject matter or some cause, therefore you're my friend and you're my enemy. That's lunacy. That's material. It's illusion. I'm spirit soul, you're spirit soul. I'm part and parcel of Krishna, you're part and parcel of Krishna. We are linked together. We are individual, but we are linked together. Forever, for eternity, we have been servants of Krishna. Together. For this brief time of maybe a few million years or whatever, we're in this material world, thinking that we're separate. Illusion. Because your body was born in one part of the world and your body was born in the other part of the world, you think that you are separate because you're identifying with the body. If we identify with spirit soul, we have always been together. I mean, we're more than brothers and sisters. We are part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We're like His fingers. I'm one and you're the other. We've always been together. We've always been associated. All of the living entities. We know each other. We are soulmates. We always have been. We always will be. It's just that for this brief period of time while we're in this material world, we start to think differently. And it's just silly. You know, it is. So, anything? Any, any discussion? I'll be on.
Well, uh, I got something to say. Uh, yeah. Prophet Paul is crooked. Goes along with what you were saying. He says, uh, that "No one is my enemy, and no one is my friend." Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. It's this uh, mode of neutrality that uh, is probably the best means of survival as a living entity. Because there's always constant conflicting issues going on in the world that it's probably best just to take a mode of neutrality, which is neutral. Yeah. Um, follow the spiritual path. You see? We can see everyone as, uh, as my brother, uh, my sister, uh, my soulmate. I don't remember it when we were together serving Krishna in the spiritual world, but I know we did. So, you know, because of, of my uh, inappropriate memory at this particular time, I don't remember it. But we have to have that realization that we all are together. You see. So, that means that we don't look uh, at one person. Actually, we shouldn't even look at one person as being... Uh, you, you, may, you shouldn't think, well, I'm more, I'm more spiritually advanced than this person over here, so therefore I'm on a higher level. Other people may see you higher level than one person, but you should yourself. You should see that, that uh, factually, I'm lower than everybody. Ego the star Huh? False ego again. Yeah, the false ego comes in. And we start, because of the false ego, there's a stack. And we want to see where we fit in the stack. <laughs> and I want to get myself as close to the top as possible. But if we're completely honest with ourselves, look at the dilemma I got myself into. Here I am in this material world trying to follow a spiritual process that'll take me back back home, back to God. So, you know, I goofed up. I made a I made a I, I zigged when I should have zagged. You know. I didn't make the right decision and I got myself. Now I'm trying to make the right decisions, although still sometimes. And throughout our spiritual life, we're going to make the wrong decision. Again, even though I'm trying to go this way, I'll make a decision to go this way. And later on, I'll think, oh gosh, why did I do that? And I'm trying to go this way. But along the way, I want to go a little zigzag. Trying to go north by going east and west, back and forth. <laughs> then maybe south for a while, and then north again. You see? So... If we can get honest with ourselves, we, we can. That'll help us get over this concept of false ego. It's part of what we're what we're dealing with. Dealing with the mind. We were talking about in class this morning about uh, you, you treat the mind the way uh, the way somebody would treat a, a horse. If you have a horse, a wild horse, or a, you know, a horse with it. A horse can, becomes of age. I don't know a whole lot about this, but somebody here maybe not know about horses. But you don't ride them from birth. They have to get to a point where they're old enough to be ridden. At that point, the horse needs to be broken, which means you get somebody who knows how to do it. They put a saddle on the horse, and the guy gets on there, and he rides the horse, and the horse is trying to throw him off, but you, he stays on, and he teaches the horse that you must obey. You see? When a human gets on you, 
you do this, you go forward, you go this way, you go that way. When they say giddy up, you move. When they say stop or go, you stop. You see? You run fast when they want you to run fast, and you go slowly when they want you to go slowly. So the horse, in a very short time, he gets all this knowledge. Oh, okay. And he's very obedient. You know? Very obedient. So the mind is the same way. The mind is kind of like a wild horse. It doesn't want to mind and, and, and do uh, uh, what the soul is willing to. And the soul doesn't really understand that the mind is not me. You see? He's thinking, that, that is me. The mind is me. I am my body. I am my mind. But when we get to the point where we can train the mind, then the mind becomes our friend. It will become your friend. Until it becomes your friend, it is your worst enemy. It will, it will cause so many problems for us if we can't control it. If we can control it a little bit, we get a little bit of help. If we can control it a lot, we get a lot of help. And none of us can say, oh, I can control my mind perfectly, but this practice of Krishna consciousness will help you do just that. Control the mind. So, yeah, good question. Thanks. All right. Continuing, persons who identify with this body, which is simply the product of the material mind, are blinded in their intelligence, thinking in terms of, quote, I, unquote, and, quote, mine, unquote, because of their illusions of this, uh, this is I, but that is someone else, they wander in, in endless darkness. So that's the false ego. When we start thinking of I. Uh, false ego is when I say I am and end that sentence with anything other than uh, an eternal servant of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now when I say I am an eternal servant of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that is true. That's real ego. Which is not bad. Ego gets a bad name. But it's a false ego is bad. Uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm an American. Wrong. I'm an artist. Wrong. I'm a carpenter. Wrong. I'm an eternal servant of Krishna. And right now I'm in this body and I'm using some talents that Krishna has given me to be a carpenter, to be an artist, or whatever. I'm using, I'm driving this vehicle that I have, this body, to do certain things. And I have some karma and some assistance from the Lord that's helping me do this or that. And now I'm trying to use these, these talents, if you will, to serve Krishna. So, as simple as that. But I'm not a, uh, an American. I'm not an Indian. I'm not an African. I'm, a, I'm from Goloka Vrindavan. I'm a, I'm a bridge bossy. <laughs> I'm a dom bossy. I come from the home of, of Krishna. That's what I am. I'm an eternal living entity. And now I'm wearing this mask. And I'm an American. 
and I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, and, and I change masks as I, as I grow up. As I grow older, I change masks. But I look back, you know, in, um, uh, in the past, and I remember when I was young, uh, myself and all of my friends, we were very, very much, um, uh, we, we loved to hate Nixon. Remember the hate Nixon days? And it was so much fun to hate Nixon, you know. So we were very liberal. We felt like the government should just give, give, give. And we were young and we didn't have anything that the government should, it's the government's fault, you see. And we heard, we hated Nixon and we loved this one, so we were all very, very uh, liberal. And as life grew on and you get into your 30s or whatever, some, some, somewhere along the line, you start to get some stuff. You know, you've worked hard, and now you have a little bit of stuff. So then all of a sudden, I noticed all the people around me were changing. They were being conservative. You know, well, I don't want to give everything. How come the guy over there is not working? Plenty of jobs out there. Let him go to work. Why should I pay my taxes? The same guy that a few years earlier was saying, oh, the government ought to do this. You know, so in other words, I wear one mask for a while, and when it becomes appropriate for me, for myself, I take it off and I put on another mask. You see? And you can get around somebody that you haven't seen in 20 or 30 years and say, I remember when you used to be like this. They go, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. You know? I don't want to go back and revisit that. Well, I'm this now. You know, uh, who was it? Um, Winston Churchill had this famous thing where he said that a young man, a young man who is not a liberal thinker, has no heart. But an older man who is not a conservative thinker has no brain. Depends on where you are in your development in your life, material life, spiritual life, whatever. Are there rights and are there wrongs? No. They're both right and they're both wrong. But anyway, that's material stuff. And we're not concerned about that. We think they're all fools. They're all fools. We're looking out for the rights of everybody. We want to embrace everybody. We want to share our, our, have a loving experience with everybody. We don't care what they think, what they think they are, or what they think they believe in. We know that ultimately you're a devotee of Krishna, and you really believe in serving Krishna. And all the rest of this is, is garbage. So, so we devotees, we try to stay apolitical. We think they're all fools. They're all fools and rascals. Huh? Liars and thieves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. This Shula said this world is a is a place of the cheaters and the cheated. Yeah. Yeah. So And sometimes only the cheaters know who the cheaters are. <laughs> if you say that these people are the cause of my happiness and distress, then where is the place of the soul in such conception? 
This happiness and distress pertains not to the soul, but to the interactions of material bodies. If someone bites his tongue with his own teeth, at whom can he be angry? At whom can he become angry in his suffering? Makes sense, you know. I bite my tongue while I'm chewing, and I say, Sean, this is your fault! You know, something happens, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm a, uh, let's say I'm a bad person and I steal, maybe in this life or in the next life, and then if you steal from me, I'm getting, what goes around comes around, you know, karma, as I sow, so shall I reap, and let's say you stole, now I'm mad at you, you're a thief, that may be, but I brought it on myself. I'm getting my own reaction. So wouldn't that make it a little easier to forgive? You know, or to control your anger? Why should I be angry? Yeah, as we go through life, people are going to do terrible things to us. You know, the threefold miseries of life. There's the, uh, uh, Adi, what is it, Adi place. Uh, uh, that means um, uh, acts of God, as we say. Acts of the demigods, really. But we say acts of God. We blame God for it. Hurricane, drought, tsunami. You see? We, we call that, uh, we blame it on God. It's an act of God. What kind of God would kill 200,000 people with a tsunami? So, so that's one of the places on the miseries. And then there's Adhidaivika. Uh, uh, Is that it? Adhidaivika. That's uh, uh, miseries caused by other living entities. Mosquitoes, snakes, scorpions, people. You know, people do things that cause you misery. While you're, <coughs> while you're uh, at work, somebody breaks in and steals all your stuff. So they put misery on you. And then the most common of all is the uh, adyatmika, adyatmika kosh, which is uh, miseries brought on by my mind. I bring miseries on through my mind. I make some choice, and I have to, through my own decision, I make a choice, and it turns out to be something very bad. But it was really my mind. Or I may perceive something. I may be going down the highway and you pull over real quick in front of me. And I think, oh man, you know, I hate you. You must be the worst, lowest person in the, in the whole world to do that. Who would I, if I had a gun, I'd shoot you and I'd love to pull you over and drag you out of that car and just beat the snot out of you. You know? You've got to be the lowest of mankind for doing that. When you're really just a guy trying to get someplace, maybe you, maybe you heard that one of your children is sick at school and you got to go pick up your child, or your wife is in the hospital, and you know, how do I know? But my mind interprets that you're a rotten person. I make that decision, and now I hate you, and I would do anything to get even with you. I want to pull up there and pull in front of you. I want to slow you down. You slowed me down. See? You see how the, the, the mind causes such misery? Why should we care? 
Why should we care? Somebody cuts me off. Why should I care? I don't care. You should have that attitude. Perhaps if they're trying so hard to get in front of you, maybe give them a little room. Let it happen. Let it let it happen. Let it, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you, it's not gonna delay you. So why why do why do we let our minds actually agitate us? I know some people that I've talked to that try to help me. It's, it's difficult to help some, some folks sometimes because I know this one person in Tennessee and he has such a problem always wondering what people are thinking about him. And he imagines. He, he, he puts thoughts in your mind. Oh, the way you're looking at me, you probably think that there's something wrong with me. He starts thinking what people are thinking. And it just, it, it's, I mean, it, it, it agitates, it ruins his life. He's, all, he's rarely ever happy when he gets among other people. He starts to think. People don't like him. You think I'm not smart. You think I'm this. You think I'm that. And I always ask him, how do you know what people think? You know, I don't know about you, my crystal balls are the shop this way. You know? Where did you get yours? I'd like to get one like yours. You know, so uh, become self-satisfied. Control the mind. You see, if you think, well, you know, this guy's probably thinking I'm a jerk. Well, I'll agree. Okay, I'm a jerk. I don't care. Why, why should I care? You see, I want to be Krishna's jerk. If Krishna wants me to be a jerk, I'll be a jerk. You see, I'm Krishna's dog. I can consider myself as low as I want. Although we don't want to go too far with that. We don't want to, in every situation, someone says, you know, uh, would you like to help do this service? No, no, I'm so fallen. And then we, people start to use that as, as an excuse why they don't make spiritual advancements. Well, you've been a devotee a long time, uh, but you're having such spiritual difficulty. Well, I'm so fallen. So that's our mantra. I'm so fallen. What are you going to get over? What I say to people when they tell me that is, are you saying that Krishna consciousness doesn't work? You've been doing it now for five years, ten years, twenty years, and you're saying that uh, that you're still fallen? So in other words, Krishna consciousness, it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for you. So... But that's that. That's a good place to hide. It's a good hiding place. I'm so fallen. <laughs> okay. So uh, have we been chanting lately? The object is to get over being fallen. We're always going to feel that we're fallen. Shiva Prabhupada felt that he was fallen. He felt that he was insignificant. But it, that didn't keep him from leaving India when, when his guru said, I want you to go to America and spread Krishna consciousness. He didn't say, oh, I'm so fallen. <laughs> he felt that he was fallen. Yes, Guru Maharaj. Yes. With the instruction of guru comes the potency to carry out the instruction. If we surrender to Krishna and we say, my dear Lord, please engage me, 
Krishna will give you the potency to serve Him. He will give it to you. We never, we, we should never think, oh, I'm so good at this. I'm such a good cook. No, Krishna is giving me this talent. I'm a good speaker. I'm a good this. I'm a good carpenter. I'm a good artist. No, Krishna. Krishna says, I am the ability in man. Whatever ability you have, that is Krishna. And we should never, to control our false ego, we should never think, I am this and I am that. No. What we struggle, what struggle to be and strive to be is an instrument of Guru and Krishna. We want to be the puppet of the Guru and Krishna. They're making us dance. We don't claim to be a great dancer. They're pulling the strings. My only credit is that we surrender to their desire. Srila Prabhupada fully surrendered to the instruction of his guru. And Krishna gave him the whole world. This is the result of full surrender. Full surrender. You know, 95% surrender gets 95% result. 90%, 80%, 10%, whatever. Wherever you can fit, that's the result you'll get. If you can fully surrender, then you get the full potency of the, of the Lord behind you. If you're his puppet, it's him doing it. So therefore, miraculous things will happen if you become his instrument. You imagine a puppet, a puppeteer, he's got this puppet and he's making it dance. And as long as the puppet's limp and going with the strings, it may look like a very beautiful dance. But then if the puppet decides, well, I'm going to do my own dance steps, it may start looking really dumb. It doesn't look very good at all. And that's the, that's the way it is with us. When we start to add our own decisions, then we look a little klutzy. If we can go with the flow of the desire of the Lord, we'll be successful. And we never take we never take proprietorship. I'm not the proprietor of my talents or or, 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 or my belongings, what I have. These all belong to, the, to, to Krishna. They all come from Krishna. You see? This is what we're talking about when we say controlling the mind. If you can think like this, then the mind is now your friend. Very good friend. And, and train your mind to remind you when you, when you find your false ego starting to get out of hand, train your mind to say, yeah, right. Yeah. And maybe your mind will remind you of some, some stupid things, stupid decisions that you've done. You're starting to think you're so smart, and your mind says, oh, yeah, this is coming from the same guy who made this decision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, my dear mind, for reminding me of that. So now the mind is your friend. You train it to be your friend. Otherwise, the mind's going to be telling you, "Well, oh, you're so great." And thinking, yeah, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And I really am something special. We are something special if we can surrender to Guru and Krishna. That's our credit, and that's that's the that's our only credit. 
if we become ser servant of Krishna. That's our credit. That's the only credit we want. Any questions? Comments? I, I was just going to say that I've heard that the, the lowest part of our brain, the uh, reptilian part of our brain, its biggest fear is success. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about. That it's like the fear of being the best that we can be. Fear of success, yeah. Because with that, actually in business, they uh, they look for certain kinds of individuals to uh, to be uh, hired into big positions. So there are psychological tests that they give to find out how you think, because some people think one way and some people think another. Different types of personalities they call it. And many people think that the success, uh, no, the austerity of being successful is greater than the austerity of being a failure. In other words, it's harder to be a success. I would rather be a failure because then I can blame it on somebody else, so therefore I can rationalize and justify my position. And it's the government's fault, it's Obama's fault, or it's George Bush. Don't we miss George Bush? Because we, we could blame everything on him. You know, it was his fault. Everything he did. Now poor Obama's in there for four years. Now he's getting it, you know. It's his fault. I'm, 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 I'm down and out because of that guy over there. You know, got to put it on somebody. So, but then other people think that the austerities of failure are far greater to deal with than the austerity of being successful. Meaning that if you're going to be successful, you have to have self-discipline. You know? If your mind says, hey, what do you say we take the day off and go fishing? you got to say, no, I've got work to do. I've got people to see and places to go. I've got numbers to meet. And I want what I get at the end. I want the, the success. I'm willing to, to give that up, to get my success. I don't take long weekends. You know? When 5 o'clock comes, I work till 7, because I want my success. And the other guy says, oh, that's too austere for me. I'd rather be sitting home trying to get a, an unemployment check or, or whatever. You know, I'm going to vote for the guy to let me take it easy. All these things. So yeah, some people are afraid of success because with that success comes some responsibility. And it happens, it, it can happen in devotional life. If I become successful as a devotee, now I have something I have to maintain. I have to maintain that uh, uh, discipline. So yeah, we're, and again, that's a function of the mind. We have to tell the mind, stop it. You know, like you would a child, you know, when a child's acting up. If you're in a store and the child's grabbing this and grabbing that, sooner or later you have to say, stop it. So we have to tell the mind sometimes, stop it. I'm, I don't want to listen to you. No, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> Whatever you say, my I'm not listening. No, 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 no. 
It ain't gonna happen. Nope, we're not gonna do it. See? So I'm trained to mind. I'm in control. I'm the boss. I'm not gonna have it any other way. So, eight o'clock, time to rock and roll. Alright. Unless there's any more comments, let's wrap it up. Did you get to the end of the verses? Huh? Did you make it to the end of those verses that you were talking about? I got to um, 50. Sounds we can read two more. There's two more to the end of his prayer. If you say that these people are the cause of my happiness and distress, I'll be right back. If you say that the demigods who rule the body, the bodily senses, cause suffering, still, how can such suffering apply to the spirit soul? This acting and being acted upon are merely interactions of the, of the changeable senses and their prescribed the, the, uh, presiding deities. When one limb of the body attacks another, with whom can a person in that body be angry? It's like we're talking about. When you bite your own tongue when you're chewing, who can you be mad at? If the soul himself were the cause of happiness and distress, then we could not blame others, since happiness and distress would be simply the nature of the soul. According to this theory, nothing except soul actually exists, and if we were to perceive something besides the soul, that would be illusion. Therefore, since happiness and distress do not actually exist in this concept, why become angry at oneself or others? Happiness and distress don't really exist. Suffering doesn't really exist in the material platform. The only place that you get happiness or bliss is in God consciousness, Krishna consciousness. Otherwise, you'll perceive this as being happiness and you'll perceive this as being distress. The guy right next to you he sees the same thing that you perceive as happiness as distress and vice versa. Which one of you is right? It's just a perception. It's a function of the mind. I say again, if you can learn to control this mind, it changes everything. It changes the way you see the world and ultimately the way the world will see you. You've got to, if you can change the way you perceive, control the way you perceive what's happening around you. It's just an illusion. It's called a paradigm. You heard of that, that word, paradigm? You know, uh, I'll give you a quick example and then we'll wrap it up. Um, this is a story told by Stephen Covey. He's the guy that did all these success books and seminars, you know. Uh, he was telling a story that happened to him on the New York subway one time. He's riding on the subway, and the subway car stops, door opens, man gets on with three children, three young children. Doors close, and the subway car starts to move again. The children start to become just noisy, and they're just making all kinds of things. Playing and running and shouting and screeching, stepping on people's toes, and the man is sitting there like this. Oblivious. He's not paying any attention. So stop after stop after stop. Stephen Covey's thinking, the jerk this guy is. He doesn't take care of these kids. The kids are, some people have hot coffee and the kids are bumping into them, spilling coffee and they're just 
noisy. And so finally he thought, you know, I'm going to say something to this guy. You know, can you imagine if you're in this situation and this guy's sitting there and the kids are just creating havoc with everybody? How would you feel? Like this guy's a jerk, right? So he said something to the guy. He said, sir, excuse me, but your children are really creating a great nuisance for everyone. And the guy was sitting there like this and he looked up and like he was waking up and he said, Oh, oh, I, I guess you I guess that's true. I'm, I'm so sorry, but you see, we just came from the hospital and their mother died two two hours ago, and I just don't know what to do. Now the guy's not such a jerk. Good. All this now you just had what they call a paradigm shift. Instead of thinking he's an idiot and he doesn't care, you think, oh, how can I help you? You know, is there anything I can do to help you, sir? Okay, so I don't know. I don't know what to do. His wife had just died. Their mother, you see. So your perception is everything. Some people say perception is reality. No, perception is still illusion. Spiritual perception is, is reality. Material perception is just illusion. It's just the, the dream of the day. The dream du jour. You know, today I'm dreaming this. This decade I'm dreaming that. It's just our, our dream. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.